All right, well, let's go to God's word. If you're new with us, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you follow along. As today, we're going to finish up a series we began back in May called From the Beginning. Now, I, I realize that this series has not been easy for a lot of people because we've been studying what the Bible has to say about evolving sexuality. So we've talked about what the Bible has to say when, when, about sex and marriage and homosexuality and gender. And what we've discovered is that the Bible is super crystal clear on all these issues. What the Bible teaches us is that sexuality has a divine design, that God created us male and female, that he created the act of sex to be a gift inside a marriage relationship between one man and one woman only. Anything else the Bible tells us is a sin. And you know, that's a hard truth for lots of people to accept. And I think there are a couple reasons for that. I think, first of all, that's hard for a lot of people to, to accept because our society has so, so taught us or discipled us or brainwashed us into thinking otherwise with all kinds of lies and contradictions. I think the second reason why this has been a difficult series for some is because some of you wrestle with some of these issues that we've talked about. And let me just say this once again, if that's you, once again, I want you to know that God loves you and we love you, and we intend on treating you no different than we treat anyone who attends Hope Fellowship, no matter what sin issue that they may have in their life, because, amen, we all have sin issues. Our intention with everybody here is to lead you to find your identity in Christ, and that will always look like the Bible. You see, the Bible, its, its teachings, its applications, its truths are very much indeed Christ's identity. I think a third reason so many of us have struggled with this series just a little bit and feel the, the tension of the series is because you know people that uh, you know people that in your life that, that struggle with some of the stuff that we're talking about. You have friends and you have family members that are living contrary to God's word, whether it be a homosexual lifestyle, living out of wedlock together, or or living out their their gender, uh, their gender opposite of what their biological gender is, and so we all know people who are dealing with some of these things. One of the things that I told you in the beginning of this series is that my very own father lives an openly gay lifestyle, and I got to tell you, I love him. I love him dearly, but I also love Jesus and His Word dearly, and I also know what the Bible has to say about his lifestyle. And so here's what I know on a very deep personal level, tension. There is this ongoing tension on the inside of me between loving my father and being committed to honoring God's word. So, you know, it would, it would be a whole lot easier in my life if my dad would repent and get his life back in alignment with Jesus, but that hasn't happened yet. It would also be a whole lot easier for me if God's word said it was okay for him to live that way, but it doesn't. And so what you end up with then is tension. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. What do you do with that tension? What do you do as a Christian with that tension? I think many Christians try and solve the tension 
by separating themselves completely from such people. They simply don't want to have anything to do with them, and so they go out of their way to, to try and avoid them like the priest and the Levite did with the beat-up man in the parable of the lost or the good Samaritan. I think other Christians try and solve this tension by simply ignoring or throwing out the truths of God's word. And it's not that they throw out all the truths or ignore all the truths of God's word, but just the ones that they don't like, the ones that, that will bring, that take, the, the, the ones that will take away the tension for them. What if I told you God's plan is not to take away the tension? That doesn't sound very American, does it? We live for comfort. We live for feeling, we want to feel at peace inside. But what if I told you God's plan when it comes to some of these issues is not to take away the tension, but for you to learn to handle it like Jesus did. Jesus tells us this about, John tells us this about Jesus in John chapter one, verse four, 14. Look at this. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now watch this full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. truth. Now here's what that means when it comes to Jesus. It means Jesus was always 100% grace and 100% truth all the time, every time. He was never 90% grace and 10% truth or 50% grace and 50% truth. Everywhere Jesus went, everything he did, he was always 100% grace and 100% truth. So think about that. When Jesus taught people, his teaching was always 100% grace and 100% truth. When Jesus dealt with sinful people, he was always 100% grace and 100% truth. This is where Jesus can be found, right smack in the tension between grace and truth. And here's what I know. That's not an easy place to be because there's always tension in between grace and truth. You're going to feel the both, the pull of both of those things in your life. But in that tension is where Jesus can be found at work to bring lost people into alignment with God. This is where the harvest is plentiful. And the workers are few. The workers are often few because many people don't want to live in the tension between grace and truth. Do you understand the tension in between is where the harvest field is? The tension in between is is where you will find Jesus loving people and declaring truth. The tension in between is where Jesus could be found saving people and sanctifying people. Listen to me very carefully, church. You will not and cannot be an effective witness for God in this world unless you learn to be like Jesus, amen? Amen. And that will always, 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 always involve you learning to be okay with the tension in between grace and truth. I want to take you to a story found in John chapter 8 that gives us an example from Jesus' life. It's known as the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. How, how do you deal with people that, that are, are not living according to God's word in areas like this? Well, we're going to learn from Jesus this morning. Let's go ahead and read the story. John chapter 8, verse 2 through 11. It says, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. 
they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, from this passage, I want you to notice three things about Jesus in this story. Here's the first thing that I want you to notice. Jesus was candid with all people. The number one thing that you see Jesus doing in the Gospels, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the number one thing you find him doing is teaching people the Word of God. He spent lots of time healing people. He spent lots of time having meals with people. But the number one thing you fi find him doing by far is teaching people the Word of God. And that's what we find him doing at the beginning of the story. Look at it once again. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to what? Teach them. Just like he had done the day before. Here is Jesus back in the temple again teaching the people the word of God. And what you find in the gospels is no matter what Jesus taught about, he was always very candid, very truthful, very honest about it. Always careful to lovingly tell people the truth no matter how hard it was for them to hear. So you think about the things that Jesus taught. He taught about God. He taught about creation. He taught about marriage. He taught about gender. He taught about life and joy, or in, in joy and peace and faithfulness. He even taught about the realities of heaven and hell and who goes to heaven and who goes to hell and how a person can make it to heaven. He was always very honest and candid with people about those things. And here's what you find. There were many times people didn't like what he had to say. Do you understand Jesus often offended people because of the truths of God's word? I'm going to take you to one certain passage here. Just give you one example. John chapter 6, verse 60, it says, On hearing it, otherwise on hearing Jesus' teaching, watch this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that it is his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? And you know what the answer is? Yes. It does offend them. And we're told, watch this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see things like this all throughout the gospel. Why? Because Jesus was willing to be honest with people about the word of God, even if it meant they would get offended and walk away from him. That was Jesus. He was always full of, of truth. In fact, when you read the Bible, you find out that he offended most of the people that he interacted with. And can I tell you, that greatly encourages me as a pastor. 
Because on any given day, I'm either a professional encourager or a professional offender depending on whether people want to accept or reject the word of God. Listen, can I just tell you, I'm just the messenger. Many times I tell people, your problem is not with me, your problem is with God. Listen, the word of God will offend people who don't want to accept it or believe it or live by it. In our story back in John 8, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't sweep the the woman's sexual sin under the rug. He didn't say, well, I love you, so no big deal. Go have a great life. You be you. No, look what it says. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So first of all, notice Jesus didn't condemn her. And I find that amazing because truthfully, he could have. He is the sinless, righteous, holy son of God who is the judge of the universe. And he could have been perfectly justified to condemn her, but he didn't. Why? Because he came to earth on a rescue mission, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. His heart was to rescue her from her sin so that he wouldn't have to condemn her for for eternity on the day of judgment. Do you understand that? He did not condemn her. That's grace. But notice the second thing Jesus did. He was totally honest with her about her sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's truth. You see grace and you see truth. Can I tell you, when any sinner genuinely has, genuinely has an encounter with Jesus, grace will always be extended to save them from their sin, but Jesus will always speak truth to them and will lead them to leave their life of sin behind. That's the Christian life. How many of you can say, I came to know Jesus a long time ago, but he's still dealing with stuff in my life? That's the Christian life. He, he not only saves us, but then he seeks to guide us to get in alignment with God's word to leave our sin behind. So understand the desire of Jesus is to justify people, to make them right with God, to save them from their sin. But his desire then after that is to sanctify them, to lead them to lead, live right according to God's word that they may bring glory to God. So understand in this story, Jesus framed for her how God viewed her act of adultery. It's a sin. He's not condemning her but rather her sin. Listen, one of the most loving things you can do is tell people the truth. You want this to be true when you go to the doctor, right? You don't want your doctor to to fib or lie to you. You want to know the, the truth. Why wouldn't you want God to do the same for you? He does the same for you. Why? Because he loves you. And Jesus always did that. Why? Because Jesus loves people. Listen, there are some inconvenient truths in the word of God. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, a transgender lifestyle is contrary to God's plan and design. The Bible says those things are sins. Now to say that in our modern world makes me, according to our modern world, narrow-minded and intolerant in a culture that worships tolerance but isn't very tolerant at all. That in the words of Peter in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. So here's what I want to say 
As God's people, we cannot handle prohibitions irresponsibly. We can't shape issues in life around our personal or cultural preferences. We can never think God will bless what he denounces in his word. No matter what culture tells you, no matter what your body tells you, no matter how you feel about it, the Bible is supposed to supersede all those things. And let me just say this. Just because someone has a preference for something doesn't make it morally correct. The woman obviously had a preference for expressing her sexuality adulterous, adulterously. But Jesus, in his hope to rescue her from her sin, notice, he didn't excuse her sin. He sought instead to put her on the right path. Can I tell you, this is how Jesus was with all people he dealt with, and it's how he is even today with all people that he deal with, deals with. He, he will never, ever compromise truth in loving people. He will always love them by telling them the truth. You know what the world says? And it's such a lie. The world says, you have to agree with me to love me. That's a lie. You would never use that line of reasoning with your kids. You tell them the truth because you want to protect them. You tell them the truth because you want them to grow up and be healthy and mature. You tell them the truth because you want God's best for them. Same with God when it comes to you. God so loved the world, but he does not love the world's sin. God so loved the world that he speaks candidly and truthfully about the issues of life. That was Jesus. He was always 100% truth everywhere he went all of the time. There's a second thing we learn about Jesus from this passage, and it's this. Jesus was confrontational with all hypocrites. You know, all throughout the Gospels, you find this to be true. And Jesus was super passionate about it. We're told in verse 3 that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, think about this, before everybody publicly in the temple. The temple was this huge platform, about six, six, six football fields big, and there would be teachers in there teaching, and people would come to worship. And so this is a very public place, not to mention Jesus has done a ton of miracles. He's drawing loud, large crowds, and they bring this woman and throw her publicly in front of Jesus. Now, when it says teachers of the law, it can be translated there scribes. Scribes in Jewish society at this time, they were keepers of the scriptures. They were in charge of copying the scriptures. Remember, there's no computers. There's no copy machines. You did this stuff by hand. So they were in charge of preserving the scriptures, but also helping people interpret the scriptures. These were the Bible lawyers of the day. And then there were the Pharisees. There was a religious group of conservative religious people called Pharisees, and there were about 6,000 of them in Israel at this time in history, and what their whole goal was is to separate themselves from anything that would be sinful, and they were really passionate about it. In fact, when you read your Bible and the Bible talks about Pharisees, those were the religious people that were the conservatives of the day. When you read about Sadducees, you know who they were? They were the religious liberals of the day, and the only time they got along was to persecute Jesus. So nothing's really changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> now think about this. Can you imagine the scene here in John 8? Can you imagine public, this woman is thrust into the light. Can you imagine the shame and the embarrassment that this woman had to be feeling? Her sin is out in the open, publicly, for everyone 
to see. The religious leaders did it, we're told, to try and trap, trap Jesus. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if Jesus lets her go, then in their eyes, he isn't following the law of Moses. And how? then he'd look like a fraud in front of the whole crowd. If Jesus says, stone her, then he gets in trouble with Rome because at this time in history, Rome no longer permitted the Jews to put anyone to death without their permission. This is why they had to take Jesus to Pilate in the, cruci- in, in the whole passion narrative. And they're referring to Leviticus 20, verse 10, in throwing this woman before Jesus. Let me take you there for a second. It says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Now you understand there's an obvious flaw in their bringing this woman before Jesus. The last time I checked, it takes two to tango. Where's the guy, right? Where's the dude? In their haste to try and trap Jesus, they're not even following the law themselves. Hypocrites. Not to mention, you know what the law says? Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 through 21. I'm not going to read it. But the law said, if you do anything out of malicious intent, you were to suffer the same penalty you were accusing that person of. These religious leaders, they're not trying to uphold justice. They're trying to maliciously trap Jesus. Hypocrites. But there's even one more thing that makes them hypocrites. They have totally failed to realize the seriousness of their own sin before a holy God. They're totally failing to realize their need for the gift of salvation that could only come through grace, through God's Messiah. Listen, that no one could get right with God through their own works. That every single person has to rely on the same grace of God to get right with him, whether they have a lot of sin or little sin. We all have to rely on the same grace. Do you understand? This is why the religious leaders rejected Jesus no matter how many miracles he performed because they didn't see a need for a savior like him to save them from their sins because they thought they could save themselves from their sins. Self-righteous. Hypocrites. They failed to realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of God's grace that only comes through Jesus. Can I say this? Self-righteous people are always blind to the need for God's grace in their own lives and in the lives of other people. And self-righteous people, you want to get Jesus mad. Self-righteous people make Jesus angrier than anything else. He spends a lot of the New Testament going after these people. Why? Because Jesus has little patience for self-righteous people. Why? Let me give you a few reasons. I have it in your your notes. Because they're more concerned about condemnation than restoration. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. He came to restore that people. Here's number two. Because they're more consumed with loving themselves than other people. They're more consumed in comparing themselves to other people and excusing their own sin to feel better about themselves. Meanwhile, they step on people to do that so they can feel better about their self-righteousness. Here's the last reason, because they hinder people from finding salvation through grace. 
They were literally hindering people from coming to know God. Look at this, Matthew chapter 23, verse 14 through 15. Jesus is talking to these same religious leaders. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You what? You hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Because they weren't really leading anybody to find salvation through grace. They were leading people into a self-righteous gospel that was no gospel at all. We go back to our story in John 8. Jesus wasn't about to put up with the way these religious leaders were treating this woman because his mission was to rescue people just like her. Nor was he concerned about what the crowd thought about him in showing her grace. And so look what we're told in verse 6 here. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now when I read that, you understand there are times in reading the Bible where we wish we had a little bit more information. What did Jesus write in the dirt with his finger? If you read commentaries, some speculate that he wrote the Ten Commandments out. By the way, this is the only time Jesus writes anything in the Gospels. There were others that speculate maybe he was writing people's sins out and drawing arrows to people. Do you know what he was writing? Are you ready for this? We don't know. He might have just been drawing circles. What is important, however, is what he says in between the two times he bent down and wrote in the sand. Look at it. When they kept on questioning him, so they're badgering him. What do you say, Jesus? They think they got him. It says, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, can I tell you, this is one of the most misunderstood and misquoted scriptures in the entire Bible. Because this statement is often stretched to mean something like this. And in the world, we'll stretch it to mean this. And it's not what it means. Let the person who is truly sinless be the one to pass judgment. If that were the case, no one would be capable of judging. Judges couldn't judge. Civil authorities couldn't judge. Parents, you couldn't judge. How can you speak truth if you don't make judgments? You say, then what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the same thing he was talking about in Matthew chapter 7. Before you go sharing truth and making judgments into people's lives, make sure you take the plank out of your own eye first. Before you go after the speck in somebody's eye. He's talking about self-righteousness here. If what he's doing is he's exposing their need for the same grace this woman needs for her sin. Do you understand self-righteous judgment always becomes its own gallows? When you point one finger at someone, do you understand there are three fingers pointing back? If we were in touch more with our own need for God's grace, we would be much more compassionate with all unbelievers, whether gay, straight, or otherwise. Verse 8 says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard 
began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until they until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, here's the question. Did they walk away because they were convicted of their sin? I think that's quite possible. I think a lot of them did. But I think a lot of them went away disgusted with Jesus. You say, how do you know that? Because the scripture tells us that they continued to look for a way to trap him. I mean, so a lot of them walked away shaking their heads. How can this man be the real deal? If he's really following the law of Moses, he should have picked up a stone and started stoning her. But Jesus wasn't concerned about what they thought. He was concerned about the woman standing before him. I love that. Jesus was never considered concerned about what the mobs thought. He was worried about the people in front of him. What fascinates me in this story, and it always has, is this. Do you understand, in this story, Jesus is modeling what the cross was going to be about. I want you to think about this. In the beginning of this story, all eyes were on this woman and her sin. That is until Jesus lowered himself to the ground and began to write in the the sand. And eventually, all the shame that was on this woman shifted onto Jesus. As people walked away in disgust, their eyes were no longer on her, but on Jesus because he didn't condemn her. Do you understand that's what the gospel is about? On the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself so that we could find forgiveness and right relationship with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And these religious leaders didn't get it. So they were only interested in separating themselves from sinners. They were only interested in forming marches and protests and movements and mobs at the expense of loving and reaching the people that were directly in front of them. And can I tell you, that's what self-righteous Christians do best. And it makes Jesus so angry because there are real people standing in front of you. He desperately wants to save. You understand you can't do ministry with a mob. I'm not saying that you can't be involved in democratic processes. That's not what I'm saying. So don't put words in my mouth. But what I'm saying is there's too many churches trying to reach people through a mob and there are people broken in their community that they don't want to love. Jesus in the gospels never participated in mob ministry. So, Jesus was candid with all people. He was confrontational with all hypocrites. And finally, Jesus was compassionate with all sinners. So think about this. With everyone gone now, the crowd has left, the mob has left. He's not worried about what they think. Just Jesus and the woman were told standing there. And it says this, Jesus straightened up once again and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of 
sin. Do you understand what this is from Jesus? This is an invitation of forgiveness. It's an invitation to respond to his love and his grace for her. It's an invitation to repent and live a life that glorifies God. The only time that Jesus ever dealt with personal with personal sin publicly was with, with the, with the self-righteous. All others, he did very similar in the fashion to this woman. He did it, think about it. He met with the woman at the well one-on-one. When, Zac, when he met Zacchaeus up in the tree, he didn't say, let's deal with this now out in public. You know what he said? Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And the crowd persecuted him for it because Jesus was willing to go in that place of tension and love people. Because that's where the harvest field is. Jesus always spent time loving and building relationships with people. That's the amazing thing about Jesus. And I, I propose to you this, that, that, that it's okay. Give yourself permission to love people and build relationships with people, even if it causes tension in you that they don't live the way you think they should. Why? Because you're supposed to be on a rescue mission. You're supposed to be on a rescue mission. That's what your heavenly father came to do. And that's what he has called you and I to do. And that starts with loving people where they are. And if you'll do that, if you'll just love people where they are and live for Jesus, you know what happens? Oftentimes it leads to an opportunity to lovingly, Share the truth of God with them. Do you understand this is why the religious leaders declared Jesus? They called him friend of sinners. Do you understand that wasn't meant to be a compliment? That was meant to be a dig. But it was an appropriate title for Jesus because in his desire to see them rescued from their sin, that's what he was, a friend of of sinners. And in order for him to do that, he had to be okay with the tension between grace and truth. You see, what a lot of Christians do is we just, well, we just got to try to get rid of the tension. And so, so sometimes what happens, and put this up, we only look at people from a sin perspective. All we see is the sin. And, and if that's all we see when it comes to people, we're going to tend to throw out grace. If all we see is people and we don't want to deal with with truth, we tend to throw out truth. Where did Jesus find himself? Always in the tension between grace and truth. And he was always able to see the sin, but he was always able to value and love and see the person who needed to be redeemed from their sin. You know what's interesting to me about this story? We are never told how the woman responded to Jesus. We're never told the end of the story. I mean, think about it. Did she put her faith in Jesus? Did she repent and get her life turned around? Or did she just go back to her old life of sin? We are not told. But that's okay. Because sometimes there are various outcomes to loving people when it comes to grace and truth. If you read the rest of the Gospels, here's what you will find with Jesus. Some people rejected him. In fact, a lot of people rejected him. 
Some people outright rejected him. Some people just kept their distance. Can I tell you, there are some people in your life, no matter how much you love them, they're going to try to distance themselves from you because they know that you live a different life than they do. Some people are going to reject you, just like they did Jesus. Let me take it a step farther. If you just seek to live between grace and truth, some people are going to persecute you. And you know what's odd about this? People on both sides of the aisle are going to persecute you. The world's going to persecute you and the religious are going to persecute you because you decided that you were going to wade into this place between grace and truth and love people and live for Jesus and see what God does with us. Some people are going to persecute you. And are you ready for this? You're going to have to be okay with that. We don't want to do that. We just, every, when everybody sit down and sing Kumbaya, that'll happen when you get to heaven one day. In the meantime, here's the value. I'm willing to be persecuted, not for the sake of persecution. I'm willing to be persecuted for the sake of the mission. That maybe me loving them and having relationship with them and being in their life could be the catalyst that leads them to a right relationship with Jesus. And if it takes a long time, then I'm willing to lay down my life. If they're not going to like everything in my life and even try to run from me, that's okay because I'm going to be Jesus in their life. No matter how long it takes. Do you realize sometimes you're going to be the only Jesus that somebody ever sees? If you're going to be the Jesus that some people only ever see, you're going to have to be okay with going in between grace and truth and being okay with that tension. Some people are going to reject you. Some people are going to persecute you, but then there are going to be some that will accept the message and the Savior that you serve. All because somebody was willing to be grace and truth. You see, when you're willing to be grace and truth, do you know what's possible? This, check this out makes that possible. Do you understand that's what the cross is all about? God is a holy God that, that must judge sin or he doesn't, he isn't holy and he isn't righteous. So he can't deny who he is. And so he has to judge sin. And when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus was enduring the punishment for our sin for us. But because God is love, he doesn't want to have to do that to us. And so that's Jesus. The cross is grace and truth coming together to save you in the person of Jesus. Let me, let me just say this before I close. This explains Hope Fellowship Church. Okay? Are you ready for this? This church is talked about in the community in bad ways from both sides. Now, we're not a perfect church. I will never, nobody's ever perfect in grace and truth like Jesus was, amen? But that's what we strive to do. But this is, so many people don't understand this church. This is the messiest place that you will ever find in your life. Do you know why? Because this church is willing to be in between grace and truth and say, we're okay with the tension. And here's what happens. We love everybody that walks through these doors. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but this is place is a place where God brings broken people and they find Jesus. And over time, Jesus cleans their life up and we see amazing testimonies. The reason that happens is because we're okay with the tension. 
We're not looking to keep people out. We're willing to, we're, we're saying, people come in. We're going to love you right where you're at. We're going to introduce you to Jesus. And, and, and over time, here's what happens with people that come through these doors. They love coming here because we love everybody. If they struggle staying here in the long run, if they don't want to listen to truth, they'll eat, they either, people who don't want to listen to truth will now stick here long term. Why? Because the truth will force you to either repent or run. That's whole fellowship in a nutshell. We strive to be a church that loves everybody. But we also strive to be a church that's 100% truth. It speaks truth in your life. My challenge to you is this. If you're going to be like Jesus, it's, you have to be okay with the tension. You have to understand it's messy. Every one of us, we want to be used by Jesus as long as it's not messy. I've got news for you. It's messy in between grace and truth. This is where the harvest field is. And so here's my message to you. Some of you are dealing with people in your life, loved ones and friends who deal with some of these issues. Don't run from them. Love them. You can love them and live your life according to God's word. I mean, don't be a truth machine gun in their life. How many of you are comfortable with a machine gun? Some Christians, that's all you ever are. You're a truth machine gun. Stop it. You live for Jesus and you love people. I promise you, when you live for God in your personal life, there'll be opportunities to share the truth with them. So that's my challenge to you. You got friends that are living different than what we talked about in the last number of weeks. Love them. Love them with the love of Jesus. But don't compromise your morals. Don't compromise your standards. Don't compromise how you live your life to accommodate people. Because how are you going to lead them to Jesus if you compromise? Amen. Well, you survived this series on sexuality. I just wanted to end this series with a challenge. This is very personal for me because I've had to learn to do this in the last couple of, of years. And, and what I finally came to the revelation of is this. I'm not trying to get rid of the tension. I'm trying to be like Jesus with the tension. And if I got to deal with tension, that's fine. If I got to lay my life down and deal with it, that's fine. Because ultimately, I want to see Jesus glorified not only in my life, but in the people's lives around me. Go and do likewise. It's not easy. It's a struggle at times. You can be like Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as a church to look at the world different than a lot of churches look at the world like. Instead of getting caught up in mobs and propaganda. I pray that you would help us get caught up in seeing people that you've put in our lives. I pray that you would help us get caught up in loving the people that are before us, that our lives might be a light that shines that can lead them to you. Help us never lose sight of the grace that we need, that we may show the same people the same grace that we so desperately need. Lord, help us to be a church becomes better and better and better at being grace and truth 100% of the time. That we may glorify you and see lives changed. Lord, we give you glory. 
prayers. Lord, I pray right now. I believe to pray this. I, I feel like the Lord's coming. Some of you need to repent of your legalistic spirit. Because you're not a very good witness for the Lord. So if that's you, would you just write your hands and say, God, forgive me. Help me to love people like you do. Help me to see people as a treasure like you do. Even if there's a lot of mess in their life right now. Lord, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for today. Help us to go in grace and in truth and be Jesus in this world. Lord, we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come at this time if you need prayer for anything, any area of your life, if you need prayer with, we'd love to pray with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to come up and talk to us, we'd love to lead you into a relationship with Jesus. God bless you. Don't forget, next week, how many services next week? One. What time? 9.30. If you come at 8, we're going to put you to work. If you come at 11, we'll all be gone. See you on the lawn next week. It'll be a fun Sunday. Have a great, have a great week.